need a book number two this evening. Brother Josh is passing those out. We began book number two. We plan to finish it, Lord willing, uh, this evening. Book number two, we're going to be on page number 13. Page number 13, paragraph number uh, 38. So raise your hands uh, real uh, vibrantly and um, Josh will see you and get those to you. As we are doing this, appreciate the good songs selected this evening. They go right along with what our focus is uh, tonight. We are making our way through the Old Testament, looking at this survey of the Bible, and we're getting into a lot of the the projections of Jesus and into the life of Jesus, and Jesus is all the world to us, and we have no greater friend. And much of the material that you see tonight will uh, emphasize that. Appreciate also the second song that we were singing, uh, Will Work. Do we really mean that? These booklets are hard work. It's hard to go through these booklets. It's it's quite a bit of information, and then it takes quite a bit of effort to sit down with someone else and go through uh, these booklets. But that's the way the Bible has been presented to us. It takes some work to dig out the truth of God Almighty, and He has left it in our hands to do this very thing and to share it with others. So uh, as we've seen will work, let's actually uh, mean it and uh, dig into scripture and actually begin talking to someone. This is uh, one of the great tools that our brotherhood has produced. Uh, these little booklets we're going through here. It's a survey of the Bible, but it's um, designed in such a way to lead someone to a knowledge of Jesus and of salvation uh, uh, through him. I went through these booklets uh, a little over a year ago with Brother and Sister Williams right here. We thoroughly enjoyed it. We thoroughly enjoyed it. It reviewed to us so many of the great truths of the Bible. It reminded us of things that, um, that needed to be presented to us once again. Now, heavenly sunlight, heavenly sunlight, sunlight bear this in mind that one of the great prophecies of Jesus uh, is, uh, has these words. The people who sat in great darkness saw a great, saw a great light. The people who sat in darkness saw a great light. And we're going to be looking for that prophecy as we read through uh, this portion of the Old Testament. So here we go. Number 38, page number 13, we are down to the judges. Now, we've got about six parts to our uh, survey tonight. So we'll be looking at the judges, the time of the judges, and then the time of the kings of Israel. And then we'll be looking at the time of the, the divided kingdom. And then we'll, we'll be looking at the time of the major prophets and minor prophets. And then we'll get right into the birth of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus and finish up with the uh, crucifixion of Jesus. So we've got a long way to go. Number 38, page number 13. Following Joshua's death, the judges were the only rulers and military leaders of the Israelites for the next 300 years. The people were united under God, but without a centralized human government. God raised up these leaders, known as judges, as special needs arose. You might remember the time of the judges. Judges 17, verse 6 says, In those days there were no kings, uh, there was no king in Israel. So every man did that which was right in his own eyes. 
Very reminiscent of our own uh, day. Number 39, one of the most unusual judges of Israel was a woman named Deborah. She was also a prophetess because the Israelites began worshiping images in Canaan and allowed, uh, God allowed their enemies, the Canaanites, to conquer them. When the Israelites repented of their idolatry, God delivered them from the Canaanites through the leadership of Deborah. And you might remember a fellow by the name of Barak who also assisted her. In, in Judges chapter 5, five, you see a song conducted by uh, Deborah and Barak. Okay. Number 40, here on the bottom of the page, the last judge of Israel was Samuel. He was born in answer to his mother's prayer. You remember, Hannah promised God that if he would give her a son, she would dedicate him to the Lord's service all his life. God answered Hannah's prayer. She bore a son and named him Samuel. Have you ever asked something for God intending to give it right back to him? That's what Hannah was doing. You remember Hannah's husband's name was what? Uh, Elkanah. And uh, so Hannah and Elkanah had a son by the name of Samuel. Next page, top of the page, number 41. It must have been very difficult for Hannah to bring her young son Samuel to Eli the priest and leave him there to be trained and used in the service of the Lord. But Hannah, but Hannah kept her promise to the Lord. She showed her continued love for her son by bringing him a new coat each year when she made the trip to the house of God in Shiloh. All right. Number 42. One night, while Samuel was still a lad, God spoke to him, giving him a message for Eli. This demonstrated that Samuel was God's messenger. One who received a message direct from God to be delivered to men was called a prophet. Samuel became the first in a long line of prophets who preached God's message uh, to his people. You might remember later you're going to hear about Nathan the prophet. Elijah, uh, the prophet Elisha, and then later on Isaiah, Jeremiah, and many others. Number 43, the kings were the next rulers of Israel. So the first part of our lesson is focused on the judges. The next part is uh, the kings. Number 43, the kings were the next rulers of Israel after the judges. Though the Israelites had been united for many years under God's leadership, they finally began to clamor for a king to lead them so they could be like other nations. This is one of the weaknesses of mankind. To want to be like other people. And so God warned them. But they would not listen. They wanted to be like other nations. So they clamored for a king. A passage there is 1 Samuel 8 and verse 5. Where it says they wanted to be like other nations. And also you might put down Exodus 23 and verse 2. Where... God says, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. You shall not follow a multitude to do evil. One of the modern translations in Exodus 23, uh, 2 says, You shall not fall in with other people to do evil. And so they wanted to be like other nations. The Lord was very displeased with this request because it reflected their lack of faith in His provisions and amounted to their rejection of God Himself. Number 44. Since his people insisted on having an earthly king, God provided the very best man available at that time. He instructed Samuel to go and anoint Saul, son of Kish, as the first king of Israel. Saul was a man of great physique, and he had outstanding courage, and at that very time, he was very humble and pious as he became 
king. Top of page, uh, next page, number 45. As Saul led his army against uh, the enemies of God's people, his expeditions were very successful. He soon became a powerful and popular king. But as he gained success, notice this, as he gained success, he lost his humility. And finally, Saul was guilty of direct disobedience to God's orders. You remember this in 1 Samuel 15, when God said, Go destroy all the Amalekites. And and Saul thought better to leave the king alive and some of the animals and so forth. So Samuel told him, Because you have rejected the word of the Lord... He also has rejected you from being king, 1 Samuel 15, verse 23. God had forewarned the Israelites of the consequences of having an earthly king. You know, you think that that would have stopped them in the tracks and caused them to reflect a little bit because God is warning them, if you choose an earthly king, you will be sorely disappointed and things will go sour as far as your relationship with God is concerned. But they did not listen Number 46, while King Saul was drifting farther from God, God chose an obscure young shepherd boy named David, the son of Jesse, as the one who would ultimately succeed Saul on the throne. David was very courageous through his deep faith and trust in God. He demonstrated this great faith when he guarded his sheep uh, from the lions and other dangers of the wilderness. And we remember David going against Goliath. And he used these very experiences in the wilderness to prove to Saul that he could go and stand against that giant with his great faith. Number uh, 47, God sent Samuel to Bethlehem to anoint David as the second king of the Israelites, even while Saul was still on the throne. Though David was the youngest of eight brothers, God chose him to be king rather than any of his older brothers. God explained to Samuel, or Samuel 16, verse 7, For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Number 48. Soon David was serving well in the court of King Saul and becoming very popular among the people. The people began to say, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Upon hearing this, Saul became very jealous and made several enraged attempts at David's life. Finally, after ruling 40 years, Saul killed himself. And young David became the ruler of Israel. Okay, Page 16 at the top. uh, Number 49. King David also reigned over God's people for 40 years. He wrote many psalms. God said of him, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. God promised David that through his descendants, Jesus the Messiah was uh, to come. Number 50, after David's death, his young son Solomon became the third king of Israel. God invited the young king to ask for any blessing he desired. With a deep feeling of being inadequate to rule wisely over God's people, young Solomon prayed, Give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people. God answered his prayer by bestowing upon him a degree of wisdom far above that which had been possessed by any other uh, man. You might remember God was very pleased with Solomon's uh, request, and because God said you did, because you did not ask for a long life, you did not ask for riches, you did not ask for triumph over your enemies, 
and I'm going to give you uh, what you ask and even uh, more. Number uh, 51, God entrusted Solomon with the building of his temple in Jerusalem. The temple replaced the tabernacle built by Moses that had been in use for nearly 500 years. This temple was a fabulous structure. Over 183,000 workers and skilled craftsmen worked for seven years on the construction of this temple. And all that is found in 1 Kings 5, uh, 13 through 16. Number 52, Solomon ruled Israel for 40 prosperous years. The fame of his wisdom and riches reached distant lands. The queen of Sheba journeyed hundreds of miles to investigate Solomon's fame. She could only exclaim, the half was not told me. 1 Kings 10, 1 through 13. During Solomon's administration, the nation reached the peak of its prosperity and the broadest extent of its boundaries. Much of Solomon's wisdom is preserved in the book of Proverbs, of which he is the major author. After a life of varied experiences, Solomon concluded that the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments, Ecclesiastes 12 and 13. Remember what Jesus said about this experience in Matthew 12, 42. He said, The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. The generation of Jesus could not recognize him as who he was, the Son of God. And he exclaimed to them that I am here in the presence of you, and the Queen of the South uh, in Judgment Day, on Judgment Day, will rise up and condemn you because her recognition of Solomon is greater than your recognition of the Messiah in your own day. So that's number 52. Top Next page, number 53, we get to the uh, third part of our lesson, the divided kingdom. The divided kingdom. The divided kingdom is the next important phase of Israelite history. For 120 years, from the accession of King Saul to the death of King Solomon, God's people have been united. After Solomon's death, the Israelites split into two separate nations, Judah and Israel, with a mutual distrust. Solomon's son Rehoboam triggered this unhappy division through his arrogance and tyranny. He refused the counsel of older men who advised him to be a servant to God's people. Instead, he followed the advice of younger, inexperienced men. Rehoboam arrogantly chose to oppress the people. As a result of this injustice, ten of the twelve tribes rebelled and established a separate kingdom in the northern part of Palestine. This was the kingdom of Israel, with another ruler named Jeroboam as its king. Rehoboam continued to rule over two tribes known as Kingdom of Judah in Jerusalem. Number 55. To keep the ten tribes from returning to Jerusalem to worship Jeroboam, built two altars in the northern kingdom, one at Dan and the other at Bethel. He set up golden calves for the people to worship, and he ordained an entirely new priesthood. He said, Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. From this time on, the kingdom of Israel was characterized by idolatry. Judah and Israel remained divided and continued in sin until both ultimately were taken 
captive by their enemies. You remember the northern kingdom of Israel were taken captive by the Assyrians and then later the southern kingdom of Judah taken captive by the Babylonians. Number 56, the prophets are the next period of history. Okay, so we've gone through the judges and then the kings and then the divided kingdom now to the fourth part concerning the prophets. The prophets were preachers inspired by God. God sent them to call his people back to his ways. The last 17 books of the Old Testament record some of the message uh, from some of these uh, prophets. Next page. One of the greatest of the prophets was Isaiah who lived about 750 years before Christ left heaven and came to earth. Isaiah foretold a time when God would establish a new kingdom not just for the Israelites but for all races. Because he predicted many details in the life of Christ, the Messiah, Isaiah is known as the Messianic prophet. All of the predictions concerning Jesus' life on earth came uh, true. 58, Daniel, another famous prophet, continued worshiping God even after being captured and warned not to do so. When Daniel was thrown into a den of lions as punishment, God protected him by closing the lion's mouths. This great prophet foretold that God's promised kingdom would be set up and that uh, it would stand forever. Daniel said, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Jesus referred to this kingdom. He referred to the kingdom of heaven as the church. Matthew 16, 18, and 19. Now, one thing you can do right here if you'd like to, as you're studying with someone, is there are three, there are three chapter twos. There's, there's Isaiah 2 that foretells the church. There's Daniel 2 that predicts the church. And then there's Acts chapter 2 where the church is actually established. So if you put those three together, plus refer to Jesus' statements there in Matthew 16, 13 through 19, you can begin a real good study with someone uh, about the church. Okay, so number 59, the writings of the Old Testament prophets uh, contain valuable information. Although some passages were apocalyptic and symbolic in nature, the books of prophecy have much to say about the contemporary affairs of the two Jewish nations and their neighbors. More importantly, though, these writings foretold the coming of Christ, the light of the world. Now, I want you to write down this. We said that there is a prophecy of Christ. It talks about how the people who sat in darkness saw a great light. Okay. The prophecy is found in Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. And then the fulfillment of that is seen in Matthew 4, 12 to 17. And this is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And as people began to listen to Jesus... They had been sitting in darkness for a long time, but now they saw a great light. So, uh, since he mentions that Jesus is coming as the light of the world, then uh, we need to throw that prophecy in there. That's Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, Matthew 4, 12 to 17. And so this brings us to the time of Jesus' birth. Okay, so look how we have worked our way down. The judges, the kings, the divided kingdom, and then uh, the prophets and now we're down to Jesus birth. Jesus birth occurred exactly in the manner, time and place foretold 
by the prophets. You remember that as the wise men came, Matthew 2, they said, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. And so the uh, counselors in those days, the wise men, or those scholars, pointed to the right passage to find out where Jesus was to be born. Okay. So the prophecy was from Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and you see that fulfilled in Matthew 2, verse 6. So Micah 5, verse 2 points out Bethlehem as the place where Jesus would be born, and then Matthew 2, verse 6 is the fulfillment of that. Okay, top of the next page. These prophecies, as God had promised, began to be fulfilled when Gabriel, an angel of God, first appeared to a priest named Zacharias. Gabriel promised him and his wife a son who would prepare the way for the coming Lord. Gabriel said that their son was to be called uh, John. Number 62. About six months after this, the angel Gabriel uh, visited... After... uh, About six months after he visited Zacharias, God sent him to Nazareth to a young virgin named Mary. He delivered to Mary a wonderful message from God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, Luke 1, 31. An angel also appeared to Joseph, to whom Mary was engaged, to assure him of Mary's chastity and purity. He assured Joseph that the child conceived in her was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Mary remained a virgin until after the birth of Christ. Later she had other children by her husband, Joseph. The passages listed there under that paragraph, like Luke 8, 19-21, list Jesus' brothers. Also, if you'd like to write down Mark chapter 6, verse 3, mentions that Jesus had sisters uh, as well. Number 63, about the time... About the time Mary's child was to be born, the Roman emperor compelled all citizens to register for taxation in the city where they were born. When Joseph and Mary reached Bethlehem, their native city, they found no place to stay in the crowded little city. If only the innkeeper had known. The savior of the world was to be born. Perhaps he would have uh, made room somewhere. But Joseph and Mary were forced to spend the night in a stable. Number 64, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, Luke 2, verse 7. The Christ child was different from any other baby ever born. He had come directly from God to Mary's womb. He had no human father. He was the son of God who had existed with God from eternity, but now had come to earth to be our Savior. You remember the angel said to Joseph, Matthew one twenty one, It is he who shall save his people from their sins. You shall call his name uh, Jesus. Also, if you'd like to do a little further reading, Micah, going back to Micah 5 verse 2, you notice in the prophecy of Jesus' birth, it says he is going to be coming forth from, from ancient days or from times of old. That is uh, a way of saying that Jesus came from eternity. Okay? Uh, it's hard to put in human language, but that's, that's what happened. We know that's what happened. Jesus came from eternity. He, came, he, exi- he exists in eternity, and he came uh, to, be, to the earth to be our Savior. Okay? Top of the next page, number uh, 
65, the birth of Jesus was so significant that God sent his angels to worship him. One of them that very night announced the birth of Jesus to shepherds watching their flock. And the angel said, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. After going immediately into Bethlehem to worship the Savior, the shepherds told the good news to everyone they saw. This is found in Luke 2, 8 through 20. 66, many miles to the east, some wise men saw an unusual star, which was a sign that the new king was born. Some months later, they went to visit and worship the new king, offering him precious gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 12. Little is said about the early life of Jesus, except that he grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him, Luke 2, verse 40. Later, he is said to have increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man, Luke 2, verse 52. But we are told that at the age of 12, he accompanied his parents to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. This, of course, is Passover time. And Jesus would soon become the Passover uh, for the world. 68, uh, there in God's temple, young Jesus amazed the doctors of the law and the wise men with his knowledge of the scriptures. His parents began their journey home unaware that Jesus was not with them. They returned to Jerusalem where they found him conversing with the religious scholars. When his mother asked him why he remained at the temple, Jesus answered, Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? After this incident, Jesus went home to Nazareth with Joseph and Mary. He spent the next 18 years with his family before beginning his public uh, ministry. Notice how Jesus at age 12 understood that his relationship with the father was different and greater than anybody else's. He says, did you not know I must be about my father's, my father's uh, business? Okay. Number 69, top of the next page. Just before Jesus began his ministry, John, the son of Zacharias, began preaching to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. John told people plainly he was not the Christ, but he was preparing the way for Christ. We remember John 3, verse 30. John would often say, he must increase, but I must decrease. Number 70, Jesus' ministry began when he was about 30 years old, Luke 3:23. Jesus both lived and died under the Mosaic period of Bible history. He was the only person who ever observed the Mosaic law perfectly. Now, I like to stop there and kind of drive home that point. Many people get confused because of Jesus' interactions with people on a daily basis that somehow today they can receive salvation uh, in a similar way. Jesus might look at someone in his day and say, your sins have been forgiven. And then someone can then imagine that today uh, they can be saved in the same way, somehow in a direct message from the Lord. But we must observe that Jesus lived under the Mosaic uh, law. And that law has been uh, nailed to the cross. And we like to make that point because we want to be sure that we begin to understand together that the uh, system that we live under today, and we operate under, and the system under which we look for salvation and how to conduct life today 
is under the New Testament system. So that's a, it's a great place there to just kind of begin to talk about that in more serious uh, terms, more definite terms. Jesus is the only person who ever observed the Mosaic law perfectly. You know, Galatians 3 verse 10 says, Cursed is everyone who cannot keep that law in a perfect way. We are all under a curse because of sin. But Galatians 3, 10 through 13 says, Jesus, by dying on the cross, he became a curse for us. He's the only one that could come and do that. Okay? Number 71, Jesus came all the way from Galilee to be baptized by John in the Jordan River. After his immersion, Jesus came up out of the water, according to Mark 1, verse 10. In this action, Jesus fulfilled the meaning of the Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse, dip, plunge. Uh, The Bible says that Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. He was not baptized for the remission of sins like we are uh, because he was without sin. And so that's a good that's a good place to begin to talk about the importance of baptism and the purpose of it. 72, the Spirit of God then descended upon Jesus in the likeness of a dove. A voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Later John gave his eyewitness account of this scene. He says, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him, and I did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And that's from John 1, 32 to 34. Number 73, on the top of page 22, in the first part of Jesus' ministry, he began to choose 12 men from various walks of life to be uh, trained as apostles so they could lead the people. He knew he would soon return to the Father in heaven. Jesus later sent the Holy Spirit to guide the apostles uh, so that when they preached or wrote the doctrine of Christ, they would not make any errors. In this way, God gave to mankind a full and complete revelation of his will in the pages of the New Testament. And so back there, we just read where John said that this one upon whom the dove is descending... This is the one that baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He's referring there to the qualifications of the apostles. How God is going to prepare the apostles to be able to do what paragraph 73 here says they did. And that is uh, what the Bible says they did. That um, they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they were qualified to be able to preach, teach, and write the doctrine of Christ. And so we can be confident in the New Testament we have today. Number 74, Jesus was empowered of God to perform miracles that proved him to be the Son of God. The first miracle in which Jesus turned water to wine showed his divine power over nature. He also healed the sick, healed the lame and the blind. He also cast out unclean spirits and he was able to read the hearts of men. John 2, 24 and 25 says that Jesus... um, didn't need someone to come and testify testify about another person because he knew what was inside man. Acts 2.22, remember Peter's sermon. Acts 2.22, and he started his sermon really by talking about how Jesus was approved of God by all the mighty works and wonders and signs which he did. When you say mighty works, that speaks toward the power of Jesus when, it's, when it says wonders, it talks about how that the people were affected by these 
by these works. They, they, were, they, they were just amazed. They, were, they wondered about it. Okay. And then the signs means that uh, these miracles had a particular purpose uh, in mind. The purpose of these miracles was to show that Jesus is the Son of God and that what he was saying was indeed from heaven up above. Okay. So Jesus was empowered to perform miracles. So thinking about the, the life of Jesus, uh, you know, he, we read about his birth, but then as his public ministry gets started, he first chose the 12 apostles. He also uh, performed a lot of miracles. Okay. Let's look down now to number 75. Jesus demonstrated his divine power over all areas of human existence. He even raised the dead so that we may be able to believe John 20, 31. By performing miracles through the power of his heavenly father, Jesus proved time and again his claim to be the son of God. 76, the master teacher preached many sermons. Sometimes he preached to large crowds, other times to individuals. Some of the most beloved teachings of Christ picture him as the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep, John 10, verse 11. The good shepherd also would lead the 99, the 99 safe sheep, in order to find the one sheep that was gone astray. These lessons point out God's love for every soul. You might write down there Matthew 18, 10 to 14, and also Luke 15, 1 through 10, emphasizing God's love for every single person. Number 77, in his sermons, Jesus used ordinary, familiar objects to teach spiritual lessons. For example, he used the flowers to teach about faith. He said, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Matthew 6, 28 through 30. Now think about Jesus' life. He chose the apostles. He demonstrated his power through miracles. And then he did various teachings and sermons. And so all that's compiled together to show that he is the Son of God. Number 78. Though Jesus was loved by the common people, he was envied and hated by their leaders. They recognized in his simple righteousness a threat to their pompous power. Suspecting that Jesus aspired to be a political ruler over an earthly kingdom, these leaders conspired to turn the people against Jesus and have him killed. Little did they realize that they were actually assisting Christ's plan to offer his life as the ultimate sacrifice uh, for sin. Okay? We remember Jesus telling uh, Pilate in John eighteen thirty six, My kingdom is not of this world. If were my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. But the kingdom is not from here, uh, he says. Number 79, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was without sin. Therefore, he was the only one ever qualified to offer himself for the sins of others. God's love for mankind allowed Jesus to be the substitute for every sinful man who will accept Jesus as Lord, Savior, and and King Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except uh, through me. Number 80, Jesus suffering on the cross for the sins of all mankind. He fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. From Isaiah 53, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. 
and by his stripes we are healed. As the mob shouted and jeered, they were unaware that Christ was praying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That statement is found in Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what to do. Luke 23 and 34. Neither could they foresee that many of these very Jews soon would accept him as their Savior. And that's what we see happening on the day of Pentecost and then the chapters following, Acts chapters 3, uh, 4, and 5. And even down in Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, it says, A great company of the priests were obedient uh, to the faith. Marvelous story of the cross of Jesus. Then, the last part of our lesson here, page 24, number 81. In keeping with the Jewish custom, soldiers came late in the afternoon to break the bones of those on the cross so that they would die before the Jewish Sabbath began at 6 p.m. Since they found Jesus already dead, they did not break his bones. This fulfilled yet another prophecy concerning the Messiah, which says not one of his bones shall be broken. Now this is from Exodus 12, 46, and it's quoted in John 19, 36. Exodus 12, 46, and then quoted in John 19, 36. But a soldier thrust a spear into Jesus' side, and his blood was shed for our sins. Since the scriptures state that blood and water came forth, many medical authorities have suggested that this implies that Jesus died of a ruptured heart brought on by the agony of bearing the sins of all mankind. We do know that not a bone of Jesus was broken and he became through this process our Passover. He is our hope of salvation. Number 82, with the death of Christ, the second period of Bible history and the Old Testament law, both came to an end. In our study of the Mosaic Age, we have learned about the Israelites in the wilderness, Mount Sinai, the tabernacle, Canaan, the judges, the kings, the divided kingdom, the prophets, Jesus' birth, his ministry, all the way down to his suffering and death on the cross. Our next lesson we will be begin to learn of the glorious resurrection of Jesus, his ascension back to his Father in heaven, and the beginning of our own Christian age. So, again, uh, my personal encouragement to you is uh, to read, read, and read through these booklets. It will then inspire you to gain further knowledge that's not contained uh, in these booklets. This is a skim over of the Old Testament. Uh, it's a survey, but there's enough here to uh, encourage us to find out more of Old Testament Scripture, but also to see the big picture of our God and how He is uh, working to bring salvation to the earth, which is exactly uh, what happened. As we think about our own lives uh, this evening, if we stand here, in the sight of our God on this Lord's Day. Uh, please recall with me just a few things that we have just read. Remember Hannah, how that she had promised God that if he would give her a son, she would give him back to her. She kept her promise. She kept her promise. When we come to Christ and we make the good confession, that is a promise we are making to him. 
to give him all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We must keep our promise uh, to God as well. Remember the emphasis, even in the Old Testament, on the heart. How God doesn't look as man looks. Man looks on the outward appearance. But God has the ability. God alone has the ability to search our hearts and to know exactly what is in our hearts. Remember how that the queen of the south, queen of Sheba, came from the outer portions of the earth, came from a long way. Uh, to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And Jesus said in his day, Behold, a greater than Solomon is here. How can we turn away from the greatest one who has ever come uh, to this earth? Remember also that if we are away from the Lord, we are sitting in darkness, but there's a great opportunity because Jesus is the light of the world. And we remember that prophecy fulfilled in Matthew 4. Those who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Have I seen the great light? Have I turned my eyes away from the light? Am I now sitting in darkness again? Or do I more and more want to see and know more about Jesus? When Jesus at 12 years old was brought to Jerusalem at Passover time, his parents left and they lost Jesus. They were unaware of where he was. Uh, Jesus can get lost in our lives as well. He can get lost under, um, well, he, he mentioned in, in Luke 8, verse 14, Jesus said there are three things uh, that keep us from him, the cares and the pleasures and the riches of this life. Jesus gets lost under our worries and concerns. Somehow Jesus gets lost underneath all that worry and concern. Jesus gets lost in our lust for riches and Jesus gets lost under our lust for pleasures. And so since that occurred and since we read about it tonight, we need to be warned that we can lose Jesus as well. We need to remember that Jesus' baptism was similar and different than ours. Similar in the fact that he illustrated, he demonstrated, the word baptism means to dip and plunge, okay, to immerse. But Jesus did it to fulfill God's plan, fulfill all righteousness. But we come to God in faith, and we're baptized for the remission of our sins. And so we want to keep that in mind, and also remember what Jesus said as he died on the cross for all of us. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If we can assist you with any spiritual matter this evening, if we can assist you as a family of God, in coming back home uh, to the Heavenly Father. If we can assist you with any uh, thought or idea uh, in relation to um, your relation with Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus' arms are always open, and He is standing at the door, and He wants to be involved uh, in our lives. Will you come right now as we stand together and as we sing for the air? Yeah.